Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking taking back control of your financial life with Kumiko Love. So we've had another crazy year, one where many folks believed that everything was out of their control, right? Whether that was because of school shutdowns or rising prices due to inflation. It can be tempting to start thinking like, woe is me, like taking that kind of mentality. But our guest today, Kamiko Love, uh, who is also known as the budget mom, wants you to know that you have more control over your life than you realize. Uh, and her new book, My Money, My Way, comes out next month, where Kamiko helps readers to just identify a uniquely 
monthly personal plan uh, that you'll stick with, which will allow you to crush your money goals. For Kamika, one of those goals that she achieved was paying off over $77,000 in debt in just eight months early on in her financial journey. Uh, and she also recently bought her dream home with cash, which is an amazing accomplishment. We're going to hear how you can take the experience and the principles that Kamiko learned in order for you to take back control of your financial life. Kamiko, thank you for joining us today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. It's going to be a lot of fun, Kamiko. And yeah, you've been doing a lot of great work in the budgeting space for a lot of years now. And we want to talk a lot about that, especially uh, some of the stuff you, you've written in your newest book. But before we get to some of those questions, the first question we ask anybody who comes on our show is, what do you like to splurge on? Because Matt and I, we spend quite a bit of money on good craft beer. It's um, something <laughs> that we prioritize in the here and now while we're saving our money and investing <laughs> for the future. Like, wh What is that for you? Well, really for me, it's always been travel. That has always been kind of one of my priorities in life. And I think if I go further than that, I really think it's experiences. I am the type of person where I struggled a lot in my financial journey between the balance of taking care of my future self versus living in the now. And I think that's a struggle that a lot of people face. It's that balance of how do I do both? Mm. And early on, I decided, you know, experience and quality time is something you can't put a value on. I really do believe that we are blessed with the life we have been given. It's way too short. And so I needed to find a way to balance those two things very early on. Yeah, that just takes, I mean, it takes some time to figure that out, right? Because yes. I think a lot of times uh, the temptation might be to swing from one end of the spectrum to the other, right? And so maybe you're just living life like normal people, like everyone else out there. And then you realize, oh, no, it's time to be financially responsible with my, you know, with my life, with my money. And then you swing far to the, to the other side and it's all about deprivation. And so, yeah, that's a big part of why we have craft beer here on our show to kind of illustrate the fact that you got to find that balance for you and what yeah. it looks like. You have to find ways to incorporate a little bit of joy into your life now. If, if you go on, if you go full on deprivation, like how long can you keep that up? You know, not, not, not too long. And, and oftentimes you're going to yo-yo back in the other direction. Yeah, it's definitely not sustainable. I mean, you a lot of people get really excited about their financial journeys in the beginning, and they go 100% hardcore, only to burn out about three months later. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that can actually hurt you more, um, because you end up actually splurging and doing mm -hmm. a lot of and taking a lot of actions that you wouldn't normally take if you weren't feeling yeah. that burnout. Um, I think too that you know, it does take a long time to find that balance, but I also think that it takes a lot of hard work. And when I say hard work, a lot of the time we don't look inside of ourselves. We don't take the time to really discover who we are. I mean, if I were to ask you right now, what brings happiness and joy to your lives? And not only that, what do you want your money to do for you? A lot of people can't answer that right away. Mm. When you ask somebody a plain question like, what makes you happy? A lot of people have to sit back and think, well, that's a hard one to answer. <laughs> and so it really is a self-discovery journey in order to find that balance. Yeah. And I love how that's just so much a part of your book and how it is that you walk your uh, readers through. And we're, we're going to talk about you know, what we call like the why behind your money. We're going to talk about mm -hmm. burnout and sustainability later on here on the episode as well, Kimiko. But uh, first, we want to kind of travel back in time a little bit. You talk about the birth of your son and how that changed everything. Can you Take us back and, and tell us what you were going through at that point in time. Yeah, when my son was born, um, so my pregnancy was not planned. It was a complete surprise. And I think anytime you're in that situation, all these questions go through your head. How do I afford having a child? 
Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Um, and as a first-time mom, and of course, you have all these stressors of, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. I don't know, you know, you're, you're focused on, I want them to have the best values and be the best person they can be and give them the best life. But at the same time, I have to worry about my finances and putting them through college and all the expenses. And so it's just very worrying. But when my son was born, something happened to me that I wasn't expecting. I realized for the first time that I really didn't think about a better future. In fact, I didn't really even think about my future before my son. I didn't save for retirement. I wasn't thinking about, you know, my future self or my next steps. I was kind of just living in the now and denial. But when my son was born for the first time, and this is going to sound selfish, but it's true, I had to put someone else's life, their their wants, their needs above my own. Mm. And I really think that's the definition of true love is when you're able to put someone's wants and needs above your own. Absolutely. And I I found a different purpose. My son gave me the ability to see a different and better future. And that was never given to me before. And so that's kind of the headspace that I was in when he was born. But then that started to create kind of some difficulties in your marriage, right? Because you're kind of wrestling with these things and it leads to you wanting to make changes. And then I guess um, that wasn't received very well. Right. Yeah. You know, me and my ex-husband, it's funny because we never fought about money ever. In fact, we did something way worse. We never even talked about it. We were completely silent on the subject. And so when it did come time for us to start making financial decisions, because now we had a child involved, we realized we were on very different teams. I wanted to start a bunch of financial goals and start saving and budgeting, whereas my ex-husband was kind of like, oh, he just wanted to continue spending the way that we were, no mm. no real ambitions, no goals. And so that did cause some some turmoil in the marriage and, and, and as new parents, because right. don't forget, as a new parent, you're also dealing with a ton of stuff outside of just finances. I think the burden and stress of finances kind of just adds an extra level of frustration inside the marriage conversation. Um, but that's exactly what happened and where we were. We realized we were on very different teams. I think a lot of folks have experienced divorce in their families. It's obviously difficult on like many levels. But like you talk about experiencing as, as a kid, even when your parents went through a uh, pretty terrible one. Uh, and so I guess I wanted to know like if you had any advice, you know, like what, like what advice do you have for folks whose relationship has hit a tough spot or, or you know, who have just recently maybe separated from their partner? Do you have uh, a word for those folks? Well, as far as partners who are still married and they're kind of, you know, wading through that problem zone, if you maybe you're just starting to talk about finance or maybe you realize that you are um, going for completely different things. I think the number one thing to realize is that you are a team, you are a team, you're partners. So you're not competing against each other. It's not, Mm -hmm. I'm right, you're wrong. It's more of, okay, we have different views, which is completely normal. Our relationship with money is going to be different for everybody. It doesn't mean that they're wrong and you're right or vice versa. It just means you have a completely different outlook and view on money. And, and it's personal to each person. And I think the more grace you can give to your partner knowing that is going to make that conversation a lot easier. You have to approach it as a, as a partnership rather than a competition. Um, I think a little, all of us a little bit, you know, have this competitive drive inside of us where we're right <laughs> and everyone else, everyone else is wrong, right? We all kind of battle that, I think, sometime in our life. But as far as just getting divorced... I think one of the things that we we have to be aware of is 
how our emotions during that time really affect our financial decisions. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that I always tell people is you have to protect yourself, your legacy and your assets. First and foremost, you have to do your due diligence and the research to know how do you protect yourself, especially as a single mom and a woman, um, when you are going through the divorce process. But secondly, to focus on not allowing your emotions to control you, but rather you controlling your emotions through that process. And then let, let's talk about, so you, you, you became a single mom, Kamiko, and you talk about how you had this desire, right, uh, to, to get your finances in order. Uh, but then your desire to be a good mom is, is partially what led you into debt. You wanted to provide like this warm and inviting house for yourself and for your little guy, James, but that led to a, a spending spree and then incurring more debt than you'd planned on, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the hardest things that I had to realize was that I was spending to make myself feel better, not because I truly was having, I guess, having my son as a first priority. I know that sounds horrible to say out loud, but it's the truth. I was spending money because I didn't feel like an adequate mom. When I was giving myself, the excuse was I was, I was spending for my son. And that was not the case. And because I had all this guilt and all this shame around my divorce, I spent money like nothing had changed. I spent money trying to give him this life that we had before, when obviously that wasn't the case. And I was spending to provide a safe, happy place for my son, which ultimately led into credit card debt because it started with ordering a new bed and then it went to ordering a whole new kitchen. Um, and that mm. led to me, you know, accepting all these credit card offers in the mail and telling myself, you know what, I'll just pay this off in a year. It's going to be fine. Um, deep down knowing that I probably didn't even have enough money with my next paycheck to even cover the minimum payment. And my excuse was, I'm trying to be a good mom. Right. I'm trying to do the best for my son. When reality, it was more of, I'm trying to make my, myself feel better as a mom. Um, so that's ultimately which led to about over $20,000 in credit card debt. Ouch. Yeah. You know, so like as you're talking about emotions here, Kamiko, it makes me think about how you say in your book that your financial health is your emotional health. And so how is it that you uh, equate the two? Well, really, if you think about it, emotions drive so many of our decisions. And I'm not talking just about financial decisions, but if you think back on a, just a regular day to day you have to ask yourself why you make the decisions you do. And emotions play a huge role in that, whether it's guilt, shame, which leads to impulse buying and purchases. Um, for me, you know, a lot of emotional spending um, was rooted in the way that I ultimately felt about myself. And that's really what this book, My Money, My Way, is all about, is understanding that until you can understand your emotions – it's going to be really hard to control your finances. You have to understand who you are as an individual, not as a mom, not as a sister or a friend, as a parent, but as a person. You that's the hard work in this journey is getting to a place and asking and answering those very, very tough questions and then diving in and doing the deeper work on how to repair it. And so emotions really is the focus um, of ultimately getting to a place where you feel at peace with your money. 
Yeah. So you mentioned guilt and shame. And those are, I think, two things that that people feel deeply when it comes to how they view money, how they handle money. And if they don't do it right, it's like those those things continue to rear up, uh, rear their ugly heads. And I think they they lead us down the path to more guilt and more shame. And so, yeah, the talk to us about those feelings of shame, how they're such a powerful negative force. And then, and then how do you talk uh, or help people think through combating like the negative forces of specifically uh, shame and guilt? Yeah. So really, you know, shame and guilt, you're 100% correct. Those are the two leading factors. And especially in my journey, um, that can lead us down a big black hole. Really combating it um, are all the steps that I talk about in my book. One of them is understanding what you want from your money. You know, the book is about finding financially fulfilled life. What does that mean to be financially fulfilled? I believe that every single person on this earth can get to that place right now, no matter where they are financially, what circumstances or situation they find themselves in, because it has less to do with the numbers and money and more about yourself. And a financially fulfilled life when it comes to your emotions and discovering who you are includes three things, and that's confidence, stability, and clarity. And each one of those things really does have more to do with who you are and your emotions than it does anything about the numbers. Well, as you say this as well, it makes me think about how you're talking about emotions here. And oft, I, like, I, I think my instinct is to remove emotions from the, the equation, right? By sort of deadening myself and saying, all right, no, I need to uh, make decisions like a robot. Uh, <laughs> and you actually talk about how like essentially what we need to do is almost like harness those emotions. Uh, because if we deaden our desires and try to remove uh, emotions from our, our day-to-day lives, Oftentimes, I think that is how we can find ourselves not finding the motivation to actually follow through with behaving with our money. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you sometimes that, you know, I've had some community members reach out to me, they say they've, you know, gone to a a counseling session with their partner, and they've been told to leave emotions at the door to check out emotionally. Exactly. Here's the problem with that. It's never, ever going to happen. Why? (laughs) Because we are emotional beings. And until you recognize that, it's like saying, stop breathing. Yeah. (laughs) No matter how much you say, oh, don't be mad, don't be angry, don't feel shame, don't feel anything, that's a completely unrealistic thing to do. We are emotional beings. It's going to happen. And knowing that, and the quicker you know that, you need to start controlling and understanding your emotions and then using that as a tool rather than as a burden. And letting those emotions control you. Because I'll tell you right now, the moment you can learn and control your emotions and use them for empowerment and passion and motivation, the things that you want in your life and how you want to live your life, that can be literally the most powerful tool that you have. Yeah, you don't need to deaden yourself to those emotions, but you need to, yeah, pursue them and harness them in the right way. Or you can, like or you can that. keep stuffing them down like I try to do. Right. And they, 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 come, they all come spilling out and yeah, <laughs> until exactly. I break Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's what happens with most people, right? And then, and it's that's true. Yeah. The yeah. binge and purge cycle sometimes of, of money happens. All right, Kamika, we've got more questions to get to with you, including we, we want to talk about some of your specific budgeting techniques. Uh, and, and yeah, we'll talk more about that right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. 
So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner listen up upswell marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business they're actually choosing you so focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best-fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, we're back from the break talking with Kamiko Love. She's got her new book out next month, My Money, My Way. And Kamiko, you know, you were, we were talking about the big questions that you need to answer before we kind of get to the practical stuff. And so like finding your why, your purpose, your motivation, these are all crucial places to start. 
And I love how in your book, it's the first budget by paycheck step. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk about, you know, finding those things, finding your purpose, your motivation? Yeah. So I think all of us get to a point. I mean, that's why a lot of people are going to be picking up this book. It's why you're here now listening to this podcast. We get to a point in our lives where we finally say, I don't want to live my life like this anymore. I don't want this kind of mess and stress with my finances. And all of a sudden you realize you want change. That's the first step, but it's not enough. Understanding your purpose and motivation for wanting a financial change in your life is the very first step. I think we all kind of need that push to want something different. A lot of people say it's hitting rock bottom, whether that's you know having your car repossessed or for me, like having my son and, and being a complete mess with my finances and, and wanting to, to provide the best life for him, whatever that may look like in your life. But the next step beyond motivation is realizing that motivation is going to be absent a lot of times in your journey. People ask me all the time, Miko, how do you stay so motivated every day? Truth is, I'm not because I'm a human being and I'm real. I'm not motivated every day, but it's because I've learned self-discipline. Motivation and finding your purpose on this journey is the first step to self-discipline. And it's self-discipline that's going to be in your life on the days where motivation is gone. Mm, yep. And so self-discipline is actually created by taking consistent change in our lives that creates habits. And these habits towards better financial management of our money which is going to lead you to that self-discipline, whether that's a daily routine like I've established in my life, whether that's a newfound excitement for your savings goals and your trackers. Um, It kind of leads down to this routine and this system that you're excited about um, rather than being scared or stressed about. Yeah. In your book, uh, you you actually mentioned that, that shopping was kind of a drug of choice for you when it came to how you handled your money. And uh, you specifically outlined being at H- H&M in the checkout line at one point. And I think for a lot of folks who are thinking about getting their money together, maybe this past holiday season was a thing that they look back on and they're like, dang it, I overdid it. Or they're about to Again. open up <laughs> Again. their credit. Yeah. Or they're going to open up their credit card bill here in just a week or two. And they're going to be shocked because they mm-hmm. don't even realize that they overdid it yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What, can you share that story of that line and then and, uh, of that checkout line, what happened there? And then I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of curbing that impulse because that is such like an American impulse these days, it feels like. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'll never forget that moment in my life. It was kind of like a slap in the face for me. I was actually on my one, you know, my daily shopping binges trying to combat all these negative emotions that I was feeling that day. And I was in the checkout line probably with, you know, I had all these new clothes from my arm all the way to the top of my head of all these things I was going to buy. And knowing deep down in, in, you know, my gut, knowing that I didn't have the money to pay for these things, I was just going to swipe my credit card and deal with it later type of situation. And I'm sitting there and there was this young lady and her mom behind me and her, she was asking her mom for a credit card. And at that moment, I looked down at all these things that I was going to buy. And I realized that none of it was going to make me feel better, maybe temporarily, until I got home and realized, oh my gosh, now I have to pay all this off. And when you're dealing with interest, it ends up costing a lot more than what you actually pay during checkout, right? And yeah. so that was really my moment of, of just a slap in the face, like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Mm. 
what, what the heck is going on? And I started asking that, why am I in this checkout line? Okay. That was the first time I asked a deeper question of why I was spending the way I was. It's never happened to me before that moment. And then realizing, wait a minute, something a lot, you know, deeper is going inside here. Something's happening here. Um, so that's really what that, that story was in the book is that big slap in the face moment for me realizing that I need to ask the deeper questions on why I spend the money I do. And then realizing it, for me, it was, a, it was a sad discovery, you know, realizing that I, I felt all this game and guilt and shame, but not only that, I was there because I ultimately didn't like myself. Hmm. And that's really hard to say out loud and to admit to yourself that when you look in the mirror, you don't like what's looking back that you don't feel comfortable in your own skin, that you don't accept the way that you look, that you don't feel like you fit in, that you feel, you know, not confident as, as, a, as a woman like you should be. And that was really hard for me to admit out loud. In fact, I, I struggled with that for many, many years of combating those feelings. So I think that when you're in those situations, you have to recognize it's not just like, oh, I'm here and I'm spending money on my credit card. You have to ask yourself the hard questions and really answer honestly. No one wants to admit out loud that they don't like who they are or they don't like the way they feel in their own skin. They don't like the way that they look, that they don't accept themselves. No one wants to say that out loud. But until you can address it, you're never going to move past it. And that's really what that story was about. One of the other things you talk about in the book, Kumiko, is prioritization of different mm. places where your money needs to go. And mm. I think for so many people, it, that is such a difficult step. Like, how do I decipher between wants and needs? Because everything kind of feels like a need. How do, how do we decipher between, yeah, those the things that are important and uh, that are a priority and the ones that aren't? Yeah, it's kind of funny because when we, when we have all these savings goals and we're trying to save our money, everything kind of feels important, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It gets to a point where like, I want to save for all these things. And when you're saving for 40 different things, you hardly make progress on any of them, right? <laughs> so really this, and I think we have to note here that this is what's very different about my money, my way. It's the recognition that every single person that reads this book is going to have different priorities and different goals. And I'm going to be the first to say it is completely okay and 100% normal. <laughs> a lot of people, when they get to this point, they're like, well, I'm not saving for what they are. And then they start doubting themselves. Well, should I be saving for this instead? Right? We get in on, onto this topic, especially when we're talking about debt versus retirement versus saving for living in the now. Right? Mm -hmm. We start to doubt ourselves. So really, it comes down to that really hard question. What are you trying to accomplish with your money? And what brings joy and value to your life? And before we get to this section in the book, the book really does help you get to that place of understanding. But it comes down to prioritization and the things that are important to you. And notice how I said you, not anybody else doesn't matter what anyone else says, thinks, or is telling you, or their opinion. Okay, this is your financial journey, and this is one that you are building for yourself. Um, I think that once you have that prioritization, and you can then group them into time segments, so short-term, medium-term, 
in long term. And in the book, I actually walk you through on how to accomplish these goals based on importance in your life using these time segments and putting them into these categories. And that's really going to help you decide what do I save for now versus what do I save for later or want versus need. You know, it's sitting down and writing all these wants and needs on your paper, maybe even taking two highlighter colors, highlighting what you feel is a need and what you feel is a want because everybody's needs and wants are not the same for everybody. What you feel is a need in your life may not be a need in someone else's. And this is what makes budgeting and finances so completely personal. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you just end up adopting somebody else's budget or somebody <laughs> else's goals or yeah. somebody else's just long-term aspirations that they that they have. And Kimiko, you're talking about budgeting here. You know, let's let's talk about some of the just the practical steps too to make sure that we are actually following through with the budgets that we've created. I am a huge proponent of, <laughs> of uh, zero-sum budgeting where every single penny has a name and, and making sure I track all of those dollars. But you know, I think part of the problem can be creating a realistic budget and not this sort of like pie in the sky budget. What are your tips for that? How is it that we <laughs> just just make sure that we're being true and honest with ourselves compared to something that feels a little more aspirational? Yeah, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I made on my budgeting journey was not having the confidence in my abilities to budget in the first place. Maybe I felt like I didn't know enough. I didn't feel really, you know, I didn't know really know what I was doing. And so what happened was I was adopting and kind of mirroring other people's budgets. But not only that, I was allowing people to define success and value in my life for me. So I would get online, I'd print out all these budget templates, and I would follow the steps to a T. But here's the thing with budgeting. Budgeting should be based on what you are actually spending, not what you want to spend or Mm. what someone else is telling you you should spend. And so what happens when when you start copying someone else's budget, you start doing what I call robot work. And the only thing that really makes implementing a budget in your life a possibility is if you feel successful when you do it. And it's really hard to feel successful with your money if you are blindly following someone else's steps and budgets and don't understand why you're doing that. Hmm. Okay, that was my biggest mistake in the beginning. So the first thing to realize about making and implementing a budget is that it needs to be based at your real starting point, what you're actually spending, not what you want to spend. And that can be really scary for some people because that means you have to track your spending and actually know where it's going, what's coming in and what's going out. And it's so funny because 90% of the people that follow this step in my budget by paycheck method, they go, Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's kind of like that slap in the face, like my H&M experience for them. It's like, I had no idea I was spending $1,000 eating out. Right. But here's the problem. They then go and create their budgets and they put $500 for their food budget, (laughs) even though they're truly spending $1,000. Look, we're all going to be starting in a place we don't want to be at. Trust me. When I created my budget, I was in the red. I was spending more on things that I knew I shouldn't. But that's okay because it has to do with recognition. And when you know a realistic starting place, that's when you can start making incremental changes to make your budget better and more useful and more efficient and more effective. And that realistic 
type of component that we're talking about is what's going to lead to doing one of the most hardest thing it is when it comes to budgeting. Creating a budget, that's the easy part. Implementing it and actually sticking to it in your life is the hardest. Yeah. And so that realistic component is really the first step in the budgeting process. Okay. So, so being realistic, I agree. I think that's, that's huge. And I think if we're creating something that's unrealistic and we're trying to, to pull the reins back too hard, too quick, it, it's, it's going to lead to us faltering. But right now, like we're at the beginning of a new year. There's a lot of energy for a lot of people. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of optimism, a lot of hope about what they'll be able to accomplish this year. And so, so how do we make budgeting sustainable? I think, I think I saw that maybe you, you sit down for 10 or 15 minutes with your, with your budget every single morning. Like, is that something you recommend or, or how do people avoid, uh, like having these awesome thoughts and hopes for their money this year and creating, you know, tracking, starting to track their spending and, 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 and creating an actual budget that they plan to live by and not crashing and burning like in February. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like one of those things where you're like, I'm going to go to the gym every single day mm-hmm. in the yep, new that's, year. And I, that's what and people then, are. <laughs> yep. And then what happens is at the end of January, you walk into the gym and it's just like a dead zone. There's no one in there. Right. Right. Because right. you get to that point where you're like, this is not sustainable. So one of the things that I recommend is that you have to make time for what's important to you, correct? Right. Yep. So if this is important to you and this is this is a financial change you want to make, then you have to prioritize that time in your life, period. And one of that that means is setting up a financial routine in your life. Now, I've been budgeting and doing this for over 11 years and I still every single day sit down for five to 10 minutes and go over my spending and my budget. Because what I have found is that gives me the peace of mind knowing I am making the best financial decisions today based on what I was able to review and study during that five and 10 minutes. It's like knowing and being aware of where I am financially. Do you, that is like that right there is absolutely life-changing because it gives you something that we all are chasing Mm. and that's peace of mind. And there is no dollar amount in the world to me that really can give you the peace of mind. There's no, there's no value to it. It's absolutely invaluable. And so having that and setting up that financial routine and making sure that you're consistent with it. Cause remember, we're all about building habits and with habits, there has to be consistency. So that is one way building that financial routine in your life. And that can be anytime. It doesn't have to be in the morning like me. Okay. I do that because I do it in the morning before my son gets up and I can do it without distractions. So maybe that's after you put your kiddo down to bed. Or maybe when, you know, you have some quiet time with your spouse or your partner to sit down and do that, whatever it may be, but there has to be some type of routine in your life. Yeah. I like what you said too, just how it lets you know where you are currently. It makes me think about like, imagine if any of like on our phones, like the maps app, if it didn't have like the location services where where you've got the little triangle (laughs) and it puts, it like plots you on the map. If you're constantly just randomly looking at a map and trying to figure out like, generally speaking, I need to kind of go north. Well, there's only so far you can right. <laughs> you can get with that. Whereas if you know exactly where you are, then you know the next steps. You know the next turn you need to take. And I think that's so important when it comes to uh, your budget and figuring out the next moves that you're going to make with your budget. Uh, and Kamiko, on that note, we're going to talk here a little bit more about uh, your sinking funds. We want to have you explain what those are. And we're going to hear some final words of encouragement right after this break. 
Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner listen up upswell marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business they're actually choosing you so focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best-fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. 
All right, we're back from the break. We're still talking with Kumiko Love about budgeting, about taking back control of your financial life. So much good stuff already. And one of the things, Kumiko, that I read in your book that just kind of struck me as just beautiful. And I'm also like, I think this is true, but I, I, I'm also like, how true can this be is, is you say that anybody can make progress on their current income, that more money isn't always the answer. And Matt and I, we've talked about this. There are so many people making six figures, still struggling, still living paycheck to paycheck, saying that they can't make any progress. And so in so many ways, I agree. But what is the answer then? Like if more money isn't the answer, how how are people who are like, no, no, I need more money to make this budget work. Um, how are they supposed to do it? Yeah. So it's so funny that you brought this up because recently I kind of addressed this question. Um, I talk about it in the book, but I, I also kind of addressed it on my Instagram. And that is the question that I think all of us are kind of wondering, can money buy happiness? Does more money equate to more happiness? And I think it really does depend on the person you are asking and their perspective because you're going to get a lot different answer asking that of someone who is maybe struggling financially, who is poor, versus someone who does have the the financial means in their life. And the reason I say that is because I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I've been in that place where I was struggling financially, where I had to make the decision between keeping my lights on and putting food on the table versus to where I am today in a much more privileged um, financial spot in my financial journey than I was, say, 10 years ago. So I think it is absolutely possible to make progress right now without adding a dollar more of income to your life. Now, of course, we should all be striving to earn more money as we go along on this financial journey. However, though, you're not stuck where you Mm. are today without making another dollar. So really it comes down to looking at what you have and making it the most useful tool that you can right now where you are financially. And we go on all these different steps in the book on how you do that. Um, And I think too, it's also recognizing your savings potential. And what I mean by that, and I know we're going to be getting into sinking funds, is every single year we put on these savings challenges for my community members. We've been doing it the last three years. And you would be surprised how many people said, oh my gosh, I had no idea I could save that much. (laughs) And the fun thing about the savings challenge is we don't ask them to go earn more income. In fact, we don't even ask them to change their budget. This is simply finding dollars they didn't know they had and making the conscious decision to save it rather than spend it. And so I do absolutely think think it's possible to make progress on your financial journey because remember, progress is not just about the numbers. We're talking about the three things of a financially fulfilled life, clarity, stability, and confidence. If you can reach those three things, you absolutely have changed the games when it comes to your finances and money. Even if you're not earning any more money. Absolutely. Remember, this is internal right? We're talking about you, not so much the money that's in your life. Because this this journey of a financial change really does start and end with you. 
That's right. Yeah. Money, it comes in and it goes out. Like it's, right. uh, it's just, it, it, it's constantly flowing. It's just about figuring out what, what is our perspective going to be of that money right. that comes into our lives and the money that, that leaves us. And you alluded to it. So let's talk about like living life mm-hmm. and sinking funds and, and how that helps us to achieve the things we're looking for. Kimiko, you know, you, you say that you shouldn't stop living life just because you have debt. We totally agree. Uh, and so what's your advice for folks who still have, you know, like lingering credit card debt or they've got student loan debt in their lives, but they also do want to you know, start saving towards some of those future goals. Yeah. You know, my biggest discovery on this journey is life is too short. And unfortunately, I've had to lose people in my life to recognize that. But it also gave me this really unique approach to the management of my money. And I am grateful and blessed about that. It's very true. Just because you have debt doesn't mean you have to stop living. It doesn't mean that we put our lives on hold and hope for something better tomorrow. Because the truth is, as sad and it is to think about, is we could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. And this amazing short life that we have been blessed with, I feel like we have to use it to the best of our abilities and live the best life that we can. And anytime we have debt, obviously there has to be sacrifices and trade-offs in our lives. But the beautiful thing about that is you get to decide what your trade-offs are. Now, when I had debt, I still did Christmas presents for my son. I still went on vacations that I chose to save for in cash. I didn't stop living my life. I just took control of the trade-offs I was making. Hmm. And ultimately, what was more important to me versus maybe other some, some other things that I was giving up at the time. So sinking funds was developed in my life because of actually Christmas. So I was this, I was this mom that would go out, you know, I was dealing with, of course, mom guilt and shame, and I would go out and blow thousands of dollars on Christmas Ooh. for my kiddo. And my family. (laughs) Thousands for one kid. That sounds like a lot. Yes. (laughs) And here's the thing. The next Christmas that rolled around, I was still paying off Christmas expenses on my credit card from the year before. Okay. That's how bad it was. And I realized, oh my gosh, you know what? Christmas comes every year. I know it's coming. Why am I not preparing for it? It's an expense every single year I know is coming. How how come I'm not preparing for it? So I started saving it a little bit every single paycheck to prepare financially for Christmas. And, you know, I started doing this about halfway through my financial journey. And so I, you know, I learned to rein in my desires and my expectations of what a good mom is supposed to be and what Christmas should be like for my son. I started, you know, wanting to do more experiences rather than materialistic things for my son, which also brought down my Christmas spending. And like I said, this is a self-discovery journey, but sinking funds is all about preparing financially for a planned or expected expense or purchase or event in the future, right? How many times have we said to ourselves, oh, I couldn't prepare for that, or it just popped up in my life and it wasn't in my budget, so it derailed my budget, or these little expenses that keep popping up are ruining my budget and they're ruining my spending, right? We've all said this kind of these kind of things to ourselves. But here's the thing. Our very unpredictable lives are more predictable than we may think. <laughs> okay, then that's part of the, the budgeting process is when you make your budget realistic, you realize that budgeting is about way more than just paying bills. It's a roadmap to our lives in general. 
Okay, we're, pre- we're preparing and putting things in our budget that have to do with our real lives. Doctor's appointments, birthday parties for our kiddos, nights out with friends, date nights, right? All these things are things that we know are going to happen in our lives. We're just kind of not looking at them and preparing for them the way that we need to be in our budget to be the most successful with our money. And sinking funds is a very amazing strategy and way of managing our money to do that. So talk to me about the mechanics of how of how you handle sinking funds. Like what's a good way for someone to incorporate it? They're saying, okay, I hear what Kamika's saying. I need to start planning ahead for maybe four or five of these things. Maybe even now I'll, I'll start a sinking fund for Christmas at the end of this year. Uh, sure. Like how, how, how do you actually like uh, go about starting that? Yeah. So the number one thing that happens is I mentioned sinking funds and community mem- my community members will run out. And by the time they're done, they have 30 different sinking funds, <laughs> right? And they try incorporating saving for all these things in their budget. But that's really not what it's about. It's about creating sinking funds for things that are putting us into debt year after year over and over or situations where we feel pressured to use our credit cards. Now, when I was in $77,000 worth of debt, I had one sinking fund, just one, and it was Christmas because that was a time in my life year after year where I felt the most pressured to use my credit card and that I was going into debt, severe debt. And so I started there. I started with one. Okay, remember, this is all about personal prioritization and importance in your life. Now, for you, maybe it may not be Christmas. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, every year I spend a ton of money on my mom's birthday. Can we go out crazy, you know, vacation or party and I spend way too much? It might be something completely different to you, but start with maybe one or two, especially if you have debt and you have high interest debt. Start with one or two important priorities in your life when it comes to planning and preparing for future planned expenses. And then you can build from there. I started with one. I now have over 12. But my situation is also very different than from where I started, right? It's a progression. We call this a financial transformation. It's not a quick change. It's something that we are transformed as we go along. But we have to set ourselves up for success in the beginning, not failure, And one of the ways that we do that is by making realistic incremental changes as we go. Not these big ginormous changes that we know we're not going to be able to accomplish, but rather these small steps that we can do time and time again throughout our financial journey to ultimately reach the bigger picture that we have in our minds. I like how, and you you mentioned this earlier on as well, but just like that self-discipline. And it's really hard to maintain that self-discipline if you're making drastic changes as opposed to some of these small, more sustainable steps, uh, like you're mentioning, Kimiko. And one last thing I wanted to kind of ask you about, you close your book talking about how like there isn't this finish line, right? When it comes to our personal finances, can you explain the mindset uh, that you are talking about there? Yeah. So, you know, for the longest time, for years and years, I told myself, if I could just pay off my debt, I will have finally made it, right? If I just paid off my debt, then everything I've ever wanted would magically happen and appear in my life. And after I paid off my debt and I was 100% debt-free, I realized my journey was far from over. Hmm. It didn't end there. Right now, it was time to focus on other financial goals. Because here's, here's the reality here. No matter where we are, how old we are, how young we are, money will always be part of our lives. 
It will always be there. It will always be spending it, getting it, managing it. It will always be part of our lives. And because of that fact, you'll always want or need to do more with it. And what I mean by that, like after I paid off my debt, I wanted to save for retirement. Why? Because I wanted to spend the time that I have been given on this earth as much as I possibly could with my son. And that meant retiring early for me. But then I also realized, you know, after I paid off my debt, time for home home ownership, this big, ginormous dream that I've had for years after my divorce was something that I now felt I could make a reality. There is no finish line in the fact of we'll always spend it, manage it, and have it. And because of that fact, we're always going to be growing within ourselves and with our money for the rest of our lives. But I think a lot of people too, when they think about the finish line, they kind of get discouraged. They're like, okay, well then what the heck is the point of paying off my debt if I just have to keep dealing with this money crap for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is you have to start looking at your money and your finances as a tool, not as a burden. Budgeting and all of this is not about how it restricts you. It's about valuing yourself. And ultimately, it's about giving you a tool where your budget has your back and it works for you. Hmm. And once we can get into that mindset of it's no longer a burden, it's no longer work, instead, we get excited because it allows us to ultimately live the life and reach the goals that we are wanting. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And Kamiko, I think your story is really powerful. I appreciate your philosophy. I appreciate how intentional you've been in how you've talked to us uh, about your story and and also to how you shared it in your most uh, in your new book that's coming out soon. So, so how can our listeners find out more about you, what you're up to and about your book? Yeah, absolutely. So we're kind of on all the socials. Um, we're at on Instagram and that's kind of where I share mo- more of my daily updates. You can I share all of my real numbers, my real budget, my real savings, nice. everything on my Instagram at the budget mom. You can find really in-depth detailed videos on our YouTube channel, The Budget Mom, and also our amazing community. Look, I will say this now. If you are listening to this podcast, you are not alone. No one should go through this financial journey feeling that they do not have accountability or support. So that's why we created the Budget Mom Family. It's a private Facebook group made over 100,000 people from all around the world, all with one single goal, wanting to find financial fulfillment in their lives. And they are there to support you and help you and encourage you with no judgment. And it's amazing support. So you can find the Budget Mom Family on Facebook. We'll make sure to link to all of that, Kamiko. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, Matt, that was a great interview to start yeah. the year off. I, Like I said, man, I really do appreciate Kamiko's story and totally. her enthusiasm. And then just she really has like created a philosophy and a way of thinking that people can learn from and then stick to. Mm-hmm. So I think it's super helpful. And um, I, yeah. So what, what was your big takeaway from our conversation with her? Yeah, I agree, man. I liked her approach. My big takeaway isn't something that she explicitly stated. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so she did say that she, she talked about incremental change and how when it comes specifically when in regards to your budget, you know, like this is the budget model 
Mom, this is Kamiko Love. I want to focus on a takeaway that has to do with budgeting. And she touched on the fact that when you create a budget, it needs to be realistic. And then over time, you can make incremental changes to it to slowly ratchet it up, right? To slowly tighten the belt so that it's something that uh, you are able to successfully challenge yourself to do as opposed to just right out of the gate doing something super extreme where you immediately fall off that wagon. Uh, That's just something that stood out to me because I think oftentimes... Yeah, folks aren't realistic. And instead, you need to start from maybe a place that you're not completely happy with. But over time, then you can make those small changes and you can find ways to reduce some of those categories of spending. You know, uh, over time, you can maybe cut 10% off of your eating out budget as opposed to slashing it in half. 10%, that sounds way more sustainable than uh, trying to slash it in half and immediately failing. Yeah, yeah. Try to make all the progress overnight and you're going to fall flat on your face. Typically, it's really, really hard to go... Uh, from all to nothing, right? Exactly. Yeah, so, what about you, though? So, I, I don't know, man. There, there were a lot of things. I think th- the thing that sticks out in my mind was when she was very early on talking about how she and her ex-husband talked about money. And she said, well, we, we actually didn't fight, but it was worse. We didn't talk yep. about money. And I think that's a good goal for all of us to, to start this new year is just talking about money. That's something you and I are big proponents mm-hmm. of, whether it's with your friends, whether it's with your significant other. Uh, we we want to, to foster more conversations, more healthy, helpful money conversations about money. And so many people just neglect those conversations. They, 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 they're nervous. They're fearful of beginning that conversation with a parent or a loved one. And there's a way, like Kamiko said, to do it with grace. But we have to. We have to have those money conversations because if we just sweep it under the rug, then it's really hard for us to get on the same page, for us to make yep. any progress, and for us to, to help each other. And it's harder for us to be on the same team, which is another thing that she mentioned too, how important that was. And communication is a huge part of being on any team. Uh, I totally agree, man. Let's uh, mention the beer that you and I enjoyed this episode. We uh, shared a double dry hop Stillings Street. This is an IPA from Trillium, another beer that was sent to us uh, by Allie. What were your thoughts? Okay, so I, I love the Trillium naming conventions that they name them after like different streets in Boston. <laughs> yeah. And and they include like little maps here and they like, yeah, hey, on, on this one in particular, they've got th- that little street highlighted. Speaking of your maps reference yeah. earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that was why it was on my mind because I'm sitting here looking at the can occasionally, you know, as we're talking with Kimiko. And yeah, she mentioned just knowing where you are in my mind just immediately went to this beer can. Yeah, if you, if you <laughs> (laughs) know you're on Sealing Street, then you probably have a better idea of how you're going to get to Fenway Park or wherever you're heading in Boston. But uh, yeah, no, this was, honestly, I almost don't even have words to give for how delicious it was. Basically a perfect double dry hop IPA. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like it was pretty much perfection. And that's like Trillium just makes incredible beers. And this one to me, it left like this just incredible lingering flavor uh, on my tongue of just like beautiful hop essence and i don't i don't know a a perfect way to describe this beer except for to say that it was i mean it was pretty much perfection (laughs) it was delicious yeah it was completely loaded with that hop flavor so much so that it was almost tingly you know like it's like sometimes i call it just like that sharpness that you get with those hop flavors but it's almost uh, with this one was almost uh, like that tingly level where i could feel it just like it was alive it's like it was massaging my tongue (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah ali thank you so much for sending this one our way um it was incredibly delicious uh and joel that's going to be it for this episode and we'll make sure to link to kamiko's site where you can pre-order her book Everything that she mentioned, uh, we'll, we'll put those up in our show notes at howtomoney.com. No doubt. And this this is just the start, Matt, of what How to Money is yeah. going to bring to the table in 2022. Uh, lots, lots more great interviews like this, more money-saving information. Uh, we got your back this year. But until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. 
It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.